Father, thank you for the gift of being able to gather together. And thank you for being intimately involved in our lives, seeing every detail, knowing everything about us, and walking with us through all the challenges that we face. And this morning, I know there are people who are struggling, going through difficult times, dark times, discouraging times, and need encouragement, need to see hope that you give, need to experience strength that you give, peace to calm fear, anxieties that you give. And so I ask that you would show up this morning through the preaching of your word and that you would work through me. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Give us a glimpse of you. Open our eyes to see the glory of who you are. Open our ears to hear what you're saying to us through your word, by your spirit, and help us to respond appropriately. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when was the last time you found yourself in a hard situation? We got some some stories here. Uh, just recently, and you felt anxious, you felt discouraged, you, you felt a lack of rest, and you didn't know what to do. Maybe you felt overwhelmed. This morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, this great man of faith, this godly man of God who was called and set apart but for, for Jesus and the work that, that Jesus had commissioned him to, we're going to see that he had some struggles himself and he vulnerably opens up and he shares with the Corinthians his own heart and his own struggles. And I believe that we're going to be helped through his transparency and through his vulnerability. And so I've titled this message, Thanks Be to God. And in the middle of Paul describing his struggle, his feeling no rest, anxiousness, he breaks out and prays to God. And he acknowledges that God is at work, God is leading, God is involved in my life and working through these circumstances as undesirable and unpleasant as they may feel. And so 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He said, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance of life from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. We learn from the apostle Paul's life that Christians can expect difficulties as they live on mission But they can also be confident in God's guidance and victory. And this gives us reason to be thankful. Christians can expect difficulties, obstacles, trials, tribulations, tough times. It's a part of the narrow path. The narrow and the difficult way in following Jesus. It's included. Paul's life models that for us. But we can also live with this confidence that God's going to guide us through those difficulties. That God's going to lead us into victory. That God is working all things together for our good. He's working in our circumstances. And the detours that we experience do not surprise him one bit. He knew they were coming. We're surprised but God's not. And so let's look at, first of all, Paul's life and his, his aim. We're going to look at his aim. We're going to look at his anxiety and discouragement. And we're going to look at his grateful acknowledgement of God working in his life. Notice in verse 12, he says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, he took leave. Notice what Paul, the reason why Paul says that he came to Troas. He lived with this gospel intentionality. He traveled and everywhere he traveled, his aim was to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people who hadn't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's life had been radically changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he lived his life for this mission of advancing the gospel, spreading the gospel, even though it would cost him comfort and at some point his very own life. And so that was his aim, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus, the Messiah, suffered and died on the cross for sinners like you and me, and he went to the grave and was raised from the dead, and he conquered sin and Satan and hell, and he rose victorious to bring us into his everlasting kingdom. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to deliver us from the powers of darkness. And Paul had great zeal and great confidence in this gospel message. He wanted to carry it. What would it look like for us, church, to live with this kind of gospel intentionality? 
to go places purposely, to go places just for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus. Like showing up at Walmart, not because you need to get some ice cream or coffee or anything, but showing up at Walmart at 9 o'clock because you're looking for people that need to know Jesus and you want to engage in gospel conversations or the park or wherever you're at in life. What would it look like to live with this gospel intentionality? Now notice that, that notice Paul's perspective here as he was aiming to share the gospel everywhere he went. He says uh, there was a door that was opened for him. You see, for Paul, it wasn't just him trying to make something happen. It wasn't just his own initiative to try to reach people. He had been called and sent by Jesus to go preach the gospel, to go plant churches, to, 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 to lead people to Jesus. And he saw God at work and he acknowledges the sovereign hand of God opening doors. Paul looked for where God was working and he joined in, kind of like a honeybee that goes from flower to flower, looking for nectar. They go into the flower, right? Paul was looking for God at work and joining in with him. And he, in a, in a couple of other different places in his writings, he speaks about an open door. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, we looked at this a few weeks ago. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. He says he asked for prayer in Colossians 4. He says, and at the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he prayed or he, he requested prayer for an open door. Uh, Acts Chapter 14 talks about uh, they declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, God is at work in the evangelistic and through the evangelistic efforts of his people. It's not merely just the church trying to do an outreach. It's God at work in saving people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul experienced lots of opposition as he was doing this. You know, the Christian life will go a little bit smoother if you don't live on mission for Jesus. But when you start ruffling feathers and you start speaking out and you start living with gospel intentionality and share the good news with people, it starts becoming offensive to some people. As Paul says in, in this little section we're looking at today, it's, to some it's death. It's an aroma of death to others. It's an aroma of life. You get two different responses as you're spreading the good news. You get people who are embittered and people who are antagonistic. You get people who are refreshed and receptive and respond to the gospel of grace. But in the light of Paul living with on mission, living with gospel intentionality, he wrestled with some anxiety and discouragement. Now, this is amazing to me because when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of this, this real tough guy and we don't, we, we may not recognize a lot of the, the, uh, the vulnerabilities. He was human and he expresses his humanness within this letter, which I find it so helpful and so refreshing. And many of us know, know, know how refreshing it is to hear 
from somebody else in their struggle, somebody that you look up to and to hear, man, you struggle with that? Like, like it's not just me? And so Paul wrestled with specifically here with this restlessness or anxiety and discouragement. In verse 13, he says, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. He was supposed to meet up with Titus. Titus had delivered the severe letter to the Corinthians. And who knows what kind of thoughts Paul was thinking. Did they lynch him? Did, 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 did he get, did something happen to him on the way back? You know, or, 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 or he was also probably anxious about, did the, did the Corinthians receive that severe letter favorably? Or did they, or have they just shunned me and listen, listen, listening to these super apostles who were gaining influence in Corinth? And so Paul was feeling this lack of rest. This anxiety and this discouragement. And, and from this, this part on to chapter seven, Paul goes on this great digression and he just shares great gospel content, but he picks, he picks up the, the narrative, uh, with, with this particular discouragement and struggle here back in, in, uh, in second Corinthians chapter seven, verse five. He says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. I love that he can be transparent enough to say there was, we experienced some fear. There was a, there was a battle of fear going on. But God who comforts the downcast, the implication is that he was downcast or discouraged. He, going through some really hard times. He's already shared this with us in chapter one. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Okay? Paul was rejoicing. He was grateful that even though he had experienced some hard times and even as he mentions in chapter one, he was despairing of life itself. He said in opening up this letter, he said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we we despaired of life itself. Sounds like he's having a breakdown here, just wanting to throw in the towel, just give up, despairing of life itself. You ever felt like that? Has your heart ever been overwhelmed with anxiety, with discouragement, depression, and you just don't see a way out? You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, the Apostle Paul, living for God, right in the center of God's will, living on mission with gospel intentionality, experienced that. And not because he did something wrong. That was just a part of the path that God was leading him on and through. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't, and I love this in 2 Corinthians, he doesn't leave, he doesn't leave the Corinthians hopeless. In his perspective, he always has this hopeful perspective. He's, he has realism about the difficulty of what he's walking through, but he also has lots of hope 
an enthusiasm that God is going to bring victory, that God gets the final word, not his circumstances, not his enemies, not his adversaries, not his own weakness. Verse 9 points us to that. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God raises the dead. Here's, here's a gospel lens on Paul's difficult circumstances. This all happened because God didn't want me to rely on myself. One of the things that God was doing in me through this was teaching me not to rely on myself, but on him who raises the dead. He's con- Jesus has conquered the grave. And this thing that I'm going through is little for him to, to change. He can change this. And ultimately, he will one day. But until he does, I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to lean into his grace, which is sufficient, his strength that fits perfect in my weakness. So Paul wrestled with, an anxi- with anxiety and discouragement. How many of you live under that? That's life for you. That's life. That's day to day for you. The gospel gives us hope. The gospel provides healing to those broken areas in our life where we're dysfunctional because of our fears and discouragements and our pains. And Paul experienced that. But he was very real about his weaknesses and his struggles. He didn't hold back. He didn't see life through rose-colored glasses. Though he had a gospel lens, he didn't see life through rose-colored glasses as if everything's just fine. Just don't focus on it. I'm not hurting. Are you hurting? Don't think about it. He didn't, he didn't think, he didn't see things through rose-colored glasses. He was very real. Here's some ways that that I identified that Paul's transparency and vulnerability helps us. First, he reminds us that we are not the only one who struggles with these sorts of discouragements and fears and anxieties. It's common. The temptations that we experience as humanity are common. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10.13 But God is faithful who with each temptation or trial will make a way of escape that you that you may be able to endure it. So he, he reminds us that, that we're not the only ones who have struggles. Everyone has their own battle. As, as one psychologist says, everyone has their battle, so be kind. Everyone has their own battle that they're fighting, battles that they're fighting, so be kind. Because you don't know what the person next to you is going through or what they've been through. So be kind, be patient. He also shares with us a healthy attitude of biblical realism. He wasn't just trying to sweep his struggles under the rug or ignore them or stick his head in the sand. He was real about life and ministry being really hard and him actually like despairing of life itself. He was real about that. I've found that being real with others, a trusted community of believers is the path to wholeness and healing and hope for my own life when I'm struggling. 
It hurts us to just hold it in and put on a fake smile as if everything's okay. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says that sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made glad. So Paul also inspires us with a hopeful perspective, seeing his own afflictions through the lens of the gospel. And he gives us an example of how we can do the same. And these momentary light afflictions are working for us a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Chapter 4, verse 16, right? He calls them momentary and light afflictions. They, these don't sound like light afflictions. When you read chapter 4 and chapter 6 and other places that Paul's describing his hardship, they seem very heavy to me. He calls them light afflictions, but that's in light of, in view of, the glory that's coming, the future, what lies ahead. And this is what, what followers of Christ have done. Throughout history, as they've endured difficulties through looking forward to what's to come. Because this life isn't it for us. There's so much more that lies ahead. This is just the beginning chapter for us. There's so much more. And so Paul shows us how to endure. How to, he shows us endurance in facing hardship. And he shows us how to be dependent upon the grace and the strength of God that fits perfect in human weakness. So we're helped by this. And so we should take, take notes here from Paul's example. If we're helped by a leader like Paul sharing his weaknesses and his struggles, perhaps somebody else will be helped by you or I sharing our weaknesses and struggles, not just our victories, but also our anxieties, our doubts, our discouragements when we're down. Lest those around us get a unclear, unbalanced picture of how things really are going in our lives, right? So this goes hand in hand with being a sincere person, which Paul has reiterated in this letter that he conducted himself with sincere communication. But notice here, it doesn't stop here with Paul's anxieties and Paul's struggle. Paul acknowledged with gratitude that God was leading him. He acknowledged that in spite of the detour, in spite of feeling no rest and feeling discouragement because he couldn't find Titus and he didn't know if the the Corinthians were going to respond favorably towards him and, and, and follow the influence of these super apostles possibly Judaizers who would lead them astray. He could give thanks to God in the midst of that. And looking back in view of that, he can give thanks to God. I found that this is one of the most helpful things to do when you're going through difficult times. It was Paul who wrote in first, first Thessalonians five to give thanks in all things. To pray without ceasing. To rejoice always. Give thanks in all things. Pray without ceasing. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here's Paul doing, practicing what he preaches. He says, but thanks be to God. Who in Christ always leads us. God's leading us through the hard circumstances. 
And even those, those, those things that feel like detours, I think it's interesting that Paul, he, even though he had an open door evangelistically, and this was probably because some people were responding to the gospel, he had to, his time there in Troas was cut short. He had to take leave. He had to take some time off. He had to change plans. But he's thanking God that God always leads us in Christ, who in Christ always leads us. And he always leads us in to victory, the triumph. Now, theologians <clears throat> have written a lot on this. Interpreters of the Bible, scholars have written a lot on what exactly is being communicated here. Now, most of them would agree that Paul is alluding to a, a Roman triumphal procession. So throughout history, when a commander, when a, when a Roman general conquered a foreign city, a country, and a people group, there would be this big party, this big procession, right? And, and there would be a priest offering up incense, there would be the, the soldiers, and then there would be the prisoners of war, right? Coming back. And so Paul seems to be alluding to that here. Now what, what theologians have, have some different views on is who exactly is Paul and who is, who is, who is, who exactly are the Christians in that triumphal procession? Because Christ does indeed lead us to victory and we'll look at a couple of verses on that. But a lot of theologians would, would highlight that, that he leads us and he was leading Paul as a captive. As a captive who had been conquered. Paul was once an enemy of the church. And Jesus broke into the history of his life. And in Paul's theology in Romans chapter 5. He talks about those who don't know God being enemies of God. Because of their rebellion. They're opposing God and his his ways. And, and Jesus broke into the history of Paul's life. And conquered his rebellion, his rebellious heart, changed his heart. And now he's being led. He's a part of the triumphal procession, but he's being led as a joyful, willing captive. He's on the right team now. But he's been conquered. His sin has been conquered He's been rescued from his destructive ways. David Garland says this. He says that the striking image of being led as a prisoner highlights the ambiguity. Thank you. I'm grateful my wife is a speech therapist. I need to get, I need to get more assistance from her. Ambiguity. Of power and weakness in this world. And in so doing, deconstructs the triumphalistic glorification of success of the super apostles. Paul has incarnated his apostolic message of the cross. The cross determines both his message and his style of ministry. And those who preach Christ crucified cannot expect to be crowned with glory by the world which crucified him. I think that's a helpful quote there from Mr. Garland. 
And so we see a number of other scriptures that do speak to us about the triumph of Christ, the victory of Christ. Paul, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Colossians 2, and this is the one other place that the, this particular Greek word is used, triumphed over. It's speaking of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. First John 3, 8 says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 says he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who are held captive all their lives to fear of death. Romans 8.37, that great Mount Everest of of scripture, that high point in scripture in Romans chapter eight, Paul, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so Christ leads his people and he leads his people in victory. Now that does not mean that it's going to be easy. All right. And that does not mean that there won't be battles. But we fight from a place of victory in Christ on which he's already won. We're strong. We are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Right? And so we're to fight against or wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. So there's there's a battle, there's a struggle, there's spiritual warfare, which we're going to look at more in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Lord willing. But we fight from this place of victory. God has given us victory. This is the victory of the children of God, even our faith. Whoever's born of God overcomes the world, 1 John 5 says. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so Paul has this paradoxical Theology. David Garland writes about it. He says, Paul's theology is remarkable for its sense of paradox. He suffers with Christ in order to be glorified with him. Victory comes in defeat. It's actually through Paul's defeat or surrender that he experiences victory. Glory and humiliation, joy and suffering. The wise become fools to become truly wise. The rich becomes poor so that the poor might become rich. Paul Barnett says that the metaphor is the same, is at the same time triumphal and anti-triumphal. It is, it is as God leads his servants as prisoners of war in a victory parade that God spreads the knowledge of Christ everywhere through them. Whereas in such victory processions, the prisoners would be de- dejected and embittered from the captive's lips. From this, from this captive's lips comes only thanksgiving to God, his captor. He has reinstated the power and weakness theme that pervades this letter. See, we're going to see through woven throughout this letter, this theme of power and weakness, strength and weakness. 
this paradox. And it's countercultural. And it was in Paul's day to what good leadership looks like, respected leadership looks like, and it's countercultural to leadership perspective today. Weakness, find strength, power, and weakness, right? It doesn't make sense. And so Paul acknowledged with gratitude that God was leading him, that God was leading him into victory, to triumph. And he acknowledged that God was working through him. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So even when Paul experienced the detour Right And plans had to change and he couldn't go here or there. Something happened. God was still working in the knowledge of Christ. The fragrance is being spread everywhere. And it's a pleasing fragrance to God. The Father's pleased and delighted. As Paul and his, and as the people of God spread the knowledge of him everywhere. But to some, it's a fragrance of death. To others, it's a fragrance of life. Paul Barnett says that from death to death probably means that the death of Christ, that the apostles preached in the gospel to eternal death of those who reject it. From life probably means from the resurrection of Christ that they preached in the gospel to eternal life to those who believe it. And so we see Paul in verse 17. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. We're not so much like peddlers of God's word. And uh, some of the imagery there is, is those who water down, mix with water, dilute. The word, crafty salesmen. We are not so much peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so again, Paul's reemphasizing his sincerity here, right? And we talked about that, that word there, uh, two, that Greek word being two words to, to be judged in sunlight. And the idea is to be uh, it, him being held up to the sunlight and seen for who he really is, right? And merchants and buyers would uh, would look at pottery that they were buying and hold it up to the sunlight and see if it had any cracks or flaws in it to see if 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 the seller was putting some wax in there, if there was something hidden there. And, and Paul said he he was sincere. He wasn't hiding his weaknesses and his struggles, his flaws. And he was sent by God. He was commissioned by God. It wasn't just his idea to go start churches, to go preach the gospel and travel to different places. He called himself an ambassador of Christ in chapter 5. We are ambassadors of Christ. What do ambassadors do? Right? They, they represent, they're sent to other countries on behalf of a country or, or a leader. And they represent the agenda of that country. God bless you. 
So Paul saw himself as one who was sincere, one who was sent, and one who spoke in the sight of Christ before the eyes of God. Paul made it his aim to please God because he knew that he would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the opportunities, the callings, the gifts, all that God had entrusted to him by grace. He knew that he was going to give an account for what he did with, for, after experiencing salvation. And he would experience rewards for faithfulness. He warned of experiencing loss for unfaithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, building with wood, hair, stubble. But he spoke in, in Christ before the, God's eyes. In the sight of God, he lived in chapter 5, he says, um, therefore, knowing that the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He lived in the fear of the Lord. He lived before the face of God, knowing that God's eyes are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. And then we also see in chapter 3, Paul's sufficiency in Christ. He asked the question in verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient for these things? Speaking of him being led by God in triumphal procession, being led into victory, being used by God to spread the aroma of Jesus, the fragrance of life all over. Who's sufficient for these things? And what's, what's the implication here? No one. Jesus is sufficient, yeah. But, but who's sufficient? Who, like, who, well, he, and he answers the question here in verse, uh, in chapter three. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I love this because this Paul had a deep understanding of the grace of God. He was humbled by the grace of God that, that God stepped into the history of his life and rescued him and saved him. Even though he was a violent blasphemer before And he persecuted the church, but he did it ignorantly and God had mercy on him. But the grace of Jesus was was rich towards him. And he said, God, save me. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I'm the chief. God, save me to, to model his patience and mercy to others. And so Paul says, I'm not sufficient in myself. I'm not enough in myself. The implication is neither are you. Neither are these super apostles who are telling you they're enough. They're trying to sell you on themselves with their recommendations, boasting of their credentials, their externals, their resume. Paul could have pulled out his resume like he did in Philippians chapter 3. But he said, that's dung. That's dung. I want to use a Christian cuss word, but I'm not going to. (laughs) 
Paul found his sufficiency in Christ through the grace of God. And it was the Spirit of God that empowered him to do the work that he did. He, sa- he says in, in, in verse 1 through 3, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. For you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's Paul saying here? He's saying what God has done in your life should point to the reality that God has called and sent us. He's worked through us through the sharing of the gospel message. You're our letters of recommendation. And the Spirit of God has brought this change in your hearts, in your lives. Which at the end of chapter 3, he tells us how we're transformed. We all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. The Corinthians had encountered the gospel. Now they had a, a lot of flaws and a lot of weaknesses and a lot of ongoing struggles. But they weren't the same. Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he gives a list of practices of those who practice these things who will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Adultery, homosexuality, drunkenness. He gives this list. And then in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. That's who you were. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. The gospel of grace broke through and penetrated and changed you. That's who you were, but now you're a new creation. Now you're changed. And all this points to the authenticity of God working through Paul. Paul's authenticity and and being sent by God. But he wasn't going to look to himself. He, he, he said that Paul was a sharp guy. He could have depended upon his intellect. He could have depended upon his skills and his resume. That's what Judaizers do. That's what living by the flesh is. Fleshly wisdom, worldly wisdom. And Paul says, no, I don't, I don't operate that way. First, Second Corinthians 2.12. Not by fleshly or worldly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And he goes into chapter three. He, he contrasts being ministers of the old covenant, the old covenant and new covenant and the glory of the new covenant and the internal transformation that happens through the new covenant that he became a minister of, that he became a participant, a recipient of, and who he became a conduit to spread the good news of. And so it's about to be 12. So let me land the plane with some application live with gospel intentionality church it's fall season it's harvest time this is a great time to get outside talk to people about jesus go to the fair share the good news take a walk at the park share the good news engage in a conversation ask somebody hey how can i pray for you invite a neighbor over 
do a barbecue in the backyard, cook up some burgers, invite some neighbors over, have some gospel conversations, go play some pickleball, invite some neighbors who may not know Jesus, have some gospel conversations. At City Church, we, we want to make an impact in our world. By bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to every relationship, we believe that the gospel is powerful and it transforms those who hear and believe it. And they come into a relationship, a genuine relationship with God and experience forgiveness of sins, the joy of salvation, freedom, hope, purpose. You come alive. Like you go from being dead, spiritually dead, to being alive. How many of y'all are alive? You've been made alive by the grace of Jesus. You've been resurrected spiritually. You were dead. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and he made you alive. Peter says you, you have this living hope within you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you not talk about that? And share that and and try to lead others to experiencing the life and the forgiveness and the joy and the hope and the purpose that you have found in Jesus. But as you do so, know that obstacles and adversity will come. Even though there's an open door, Paul says, but there are many adversity, many adversaries. Know that those are included on the narrow and the difficult Christian path, as Jesus described it. Acknowledge your own inadequacy and embrace God's enabling grace. And we talk about evangelism or we talk about speaking for Jesus, all of a sudden like start start our heart starts pumping. You know, if we if we sense the Holy Spirit leading us to share to go start a conversation with somebody at a restaurant or whatever, like we're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Like it's out of my comfort zone, right? We're and fear is is, is the number one barrier for, for Christians sharing their faith, right? And, and we have to we have to face it. We have to face that not with our own sufficiency, not with pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but we find our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. We're not better than other people, telling them how how they can be like us. We're sharing good news, the gospel of how Jesus came to rescue sinners like you and me. And God gives us the strength. He gives us the grace. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Word of God equips us and makes us competent or adequate. Second Timothy 4, or 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching, for instruction, for correction, for reproof. Instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or adequate. Or sufficient. You'd be ready. And here at City Church, we have vision for that. Each of us being ministers of the gospel. Shining our lights. And so acknowledge your inadequacy. It's okay. If you don't feel like you're enough. Paul would say, you know what? You're right. I'm not enough. But Christ is enough. And he lives in me. He's given me grace. It's, it's his idea that I be a minister. And lastly, be thankful and confident in God's guidance and victory in your life and for your life. We're more than conquerors. Amen? And so let's close with prayer. Kevin's going to lead us in a chorus.
And I just, I want to pray for, I want to pray for anybody here who feels weak, discouraged, anxious right now. And if you would, just be bold enough to raise your hand. Say, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. Weak, discouraged, anxious. I'm going to pray for anybody who feels bound or held back. Just not free. Not free to be who God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do. I want to pray that God would break through in your life today. Lord, you see your children who have said, I'm weak. I'm anxious. I'm discouraged. I need your help. And we come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We come together as your children, as, as family. You give us what we need to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray that you would stir hearts in this place, in our church family. That you would fill us over to, to overflow, God. You'd fill our cups. That you'd fill us with hope. That you'd fill us with joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in your Holy Spirit. I pray that your light would pierce the darkness. That your truth would conquer lies that are keeping your people in fear and anxiety. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we give you thanks. Thanks be to you, Father.